0: Hello and welcome to Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Sol Lovemore. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're talking to ex-professional footballer, producer, writer and public speaker, Marvin Sordell. Having suffered from depression throughout his football career, today Marvin is a pioneer for men's mental health. Helping to spread awareness and make the change through his involvement in projects such as the Heads Up campaign and through his seat on the FA Inclusion Advisory Board. He's also co-founder of 180 Productions, a production company that was born out of his passion for writing and storytelling. Please know that this episode contains discussions around mental health and suicide, so discretion is advised. A pleasure to have you. I mean, you've been doing some fantastic work, you know, not only your journey through football and then obviously your early retirement, but everything you've gone on to do and everything you stand for. Um, the reason why I wanted you and on the podcast is because I'm a big admirer of everything you've been through and everything you're achieving and pursuing. It's just nice to see just someone so young take so much pressure on their shoulders and turn it into something so positive. And I think, especially in the black community as well, where I feel it's needed most in terms of role models who go against the grain. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Thanks, for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to really um, start with your early life. Let's go back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? Talk to me a bit about that. Grew up in Harrow.
1: So I lived in, in Harrow,
0: I was born, in, born and
1: raised in Harrow, um, lived there Well, all of my childhood Lived in multiple places in, in Harrow as well, so, you know, in the town centre, a place called Kenton, um, Pinar So, yeah, I lived in, that was my childhood, that's where I grew up.
0: What was school, your education, what was that like and what did you excel in in school? I loved maths, to be honest. Um, that was one of my
1: favourite subjects. Obviously, I, everyone likes PE, but, you know, in, in terms of education itself... Maths was one of my strong, well, probably was my strongest subject, purely because I like the fact that it's factual. <laughs> um, you know, everyone knows two plus two equals four. There are multiple ways of getting there, but, you know, that that's a fact. You know, you can't, that's not something that can be argued with. And you know, <laughs> maybe that's just something that reflects my personality, but I like something that is, you know, crystal clear. But, but at the same time, I also liked English because I loved stories and storytelling as well.
0: When would you say you began playing football? When did kind of the, the love for football start?
1: I mean, I've been playing football ever
0: since I can remember, and
1: you know, my one of my first memories is probably being about five or six, where I, I think it was an Arsenal soccer school was um, came to my school, and you know, I just fell in love with it from then. And you know, my early memories of the game are see playing um, for a Sunday league team, but also watching football as well. So I remember. You know, the first game I can remember watching was the FA Cup final in ninety eight where Arsenal beat Newcastle. And I was just a massive fan of you know, became a massive fan of Arsenal from there. So going to the soccer school, but then, you know, watching that and also the World Cup as well. See Michael Owen score that goal against Argentina and I just thought this is incredible how it just makes everybody feel like this, you know, the whole crowd are going insane and you know, I want I want to be like Michael Owen. I want to be like that. I wanted to be like Nicholas and and Ian, right?
0: Yeah. Now, fair. I, I do remember that that goal, the Michael Owen goal, fondly incredible. But um, but would you say from a young age you knew football was going to be a career path, or is that something that developed over time? I know you've spoken for your love of the game, but career wise, how did that play out for you?
1: From from that age, that's what I wanted to be my career. I wanted to be a professional football player, and you know. Every kid at that age dreams of being a football player, but I was very different in that. You know, it was it wasn't just a dream; it was my goal. It was something that I had to achieve. I was almost desperate to achieve it, and you know, I was in my garden every single day, kicking a ball against the wall, practicing, or in the park, practicing every single day. You know, after school, where people would be hanging out. You know, even through to my years in high school. You know, if I wasn't at training. I'd be in my garden practicing or in a park practicing every day. I wasn't hanging out. I wasn't going to parties. I wasn't just doing stuff, really. I was just playing football, practicing every single day. And that's that's, you know, what actually enabled me to get to where I wanted to get to because I was putting in the hours.
0: And who would you say inspired you as a young person? You mentioned in your past interviews that your father hasn't been in your life since you were six. Did you have anybody you looked up to as a positive role model, father figure? Growing up? I have seen my family.
1: I mean, I looked up a lot, obviously a lot to my mum because she was someone who worked really, really hard and had to, you know, to provide to put food on the table. But I think having someone like that in your life anyway, you know, is, is regardless male or female, someone that you're you're gonna look up to naturally anyway.
0: Yeah, now for sure I can relate to about the uh, about mum as well. I, I'm come from like a similar background, single parent. So yeah, I, I, that definitely hits home for me. Um, you mentioned obviously that football was your goal from a super young age, but when would you say you started taking it seriously, and what were the first steps of actually becoming a professional footballer?
1: Probably around maybe 10, 11, where I started to try and you know get into different trials, and you know there were uh, there was a thing called IFA which is was an academy. So, you know, if you got into there, then you, you're playing games against um, professional teams or, you know, you're getting better standard of training than your Sunday team and went for, through trials to try and get in there because I was just wanted to find a way I could get scouted to get, you know, be in a professional club. And I didn't get in there. And, you know, at that point I was just, I, I need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to try more. I need to practice more. And I eventually got scouted at 13 from my Sunday team to, to go on trial at Chelsea. And I went on trial, went on a six-week trial there, didn't get signed. But again, I'd, I learned so much. And the next year I got um, scouted by Fulham and went on trial at Fulham and was signed there You know, after about a week and a bit, which obviously is was a massive achievement for me at the time. You know, 14, I thought, right, I've, you know, I've made the step now into professional club Nice. You need to get the, the next contract for the next two years to be, under, you know, under fifteen, and under sixteen, and then I got that, and it's right now it's about trying to get a scholarship, which I didn't actually get at Fulham, but I I ended up getting at Watford, and then obviously it's then I need to get a pro. <laughs> you know, so you're always working, always you know pushing and working towards the next thing, and that's just always how it was
0: at that at that point. And you made your professional debut in 2009 slash 10. How was transitioning to the world of professional football in general? How did you find it going from youth team football to the to the first team? I mean, it was easier,
1: I think, probably going from youth team to first team at that point, because, you know, when you're in a youth team, you're in the environment anyway. You're in a professional environment. You're training every day. You're around the first team every day. You train with the first team here and there. So that initial jump from going from being at school to being in training every day, you know, in and around the first team, um, that was a, that's a big jump. That's the biggest jump you can, you can have in football. But, you know, making my debut in the first team was, you know, was still a massive jump because it was like, you know, I'm a professional football player, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I finally played a game as a professional football player. And then you kind of stop and think, well, that's just one game. There's, there's so much more to do to actually have a career. You know, you, you, it never stops. If you want to have a career, you have to just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. There's no point you can go, I've done it until you finished.
0: <laughs> now for sure. But how did you also handle the pressure? Because as you said, you go from school and then you're thrust into professional football. You're now fully fledged in the first team your friends who are around about your the same age as you are scratching their heads thinking, what uni am I going to? What job do I want to do in life? Do you know what I mean? You're you're now in this high pressure position because as you said, you're a professional athlete and everything that comes with it. So how did you how did you manage how did you manage that pressure?
1: Um, I mean, at first I handled it terribly, you know, going into being in that professional environment, but you know, it's like as you get older and you get more used to it and, you know, the the players I played with in the youth team at Watford, you know, a lot of them got into the first team around the same time as me. So, you know, we were really close because we spent a lot of time together anyway. And that probably allowed, it, allowed me to be more comfortable and, and not really have to think about the pressure because I'm going out there and playing games and I'm out with my friends. So it makes a big difference. Obviously, my friends at home and from school and stuff who are going to uni etc it was different because it was it's almost like you have two sets of friends at that point because you you have a friend in football and at that point as well you're in completely different financial situations as well and you just have to manage it and just find the balance really
0: just to go back to what you just said when you said you handled it Terribly, when you say that, give me an example of what that means.
1: Just the step up from going from being at school to being in a professional environment, you know, it was, it was physically and emotionally draining. You know, the idea going from, you know, you train three nights a week to you're training double sessions most days. And on a Saturday, you have a game and, you know, scouts are watching. The, the you know, the youth team manager is, you know, there's pressure on you from the youth team manager, there's pressure to, from the first team manager to, to perform to because you're trying to get your pro contract and you know you're you may be training with the first team some days and there's pressure on you to perform well because you know that can make a big difference to whether you're going to get a pro contract or not you know even one one training session makes a difference how you conduct yourself in in and around the changing room and stuff and kind of understanding the environment and the kind of politics and the way the, the industry works on the inside is something that at first i really struggled to adapt to but I found my way, I think I'd say, afterwards.
0: Another thing I wanted to touch on is, obviously, after 27 goals in 81 games for Watford and in two and a half years, you also represented England at both under-20 and under-21 levels and represented Team GB in the London 2012 Olympics. You then earned a £3 million move to to the Premier League with Bolton Wanderers in 2012. You've spoken quite openly about the pressure you felt regarding this transfer. Could you tell us more about that?
1: I mean, that was when I first you know, move, move into the territory of real pressure in football. I think before that I didn't quite get the magnitude of the level and the, the, the game really and the pressure from the media, etc. Um, because at the time Watford were a very small club and I didn't realise how big playing in the Championship was because playing for a quite small club, my teammates are all friends, they're all around similar age to me, so I'm just, you know, playing, enjoying myself, I'm living at home, my support network's there, you know, everything's great. Um I moved to to Bolton in the Premier League, big club, big expectation. Obviously not in a great circumstance in relegation zone. And you know, I'm living away from friends and family, my support network's not there. So I found that really difficult, you know, particularly the first year I would say that I was there because there was an expectation of me to instantly go in and do brilliant, which I really wasn't given the opportunity to do so anyway. And because I'd come from a point where at Watford I was just playing and enjoying myself and enjoying my football, and as well as having a good social life as well with friends and family and stuff, to go to the complete opposite in, in every situation was just really difficult because it just flipped on its head overnight. And so I found that difficult and you know the pressure from fans who didn't really know me as a player or as a person, and then the media as well, obviously, because I was the only transfer in the the January window as well and see for quite a few million pounds. So it made it tough.
0: And as you said as well, we look at it in today's market, you got 3 million, but actually at the time, as you said, 3 million was was a considerable transfer amount. Obviously now the numbers, I mean, are just astronomical. But if you put it in relative terms, it was still a large amount and at such a young age, as you said, to carry that pressure. And obviously when finances in this situation increase the expectation i guess from fans from the the managers i guess everyone at the club coming in when did it first dawn on you that a the money the tag you had on your head was going to come with all this pressure and how the system worked like when did it click to say okay wow i didn't realize that i've signed up for more than i expected
1: being in nando's one day you know i've walked in and and um now I'm I'm obviously living on my own at this point. Um I was living in the hotel inside the stadium and you know, I've eaten hotel food every day and I thought, right, I wanna just get something different. So there was a Nando's in the retail park around the corner. So I've driven there, parked up, gone inside of my own and you know, walked in and you know, it just felt like the world just stopped and everyone just turned to just like loads of people turned to look at me and I thought, Well, this is a bit strange and then you know, I've sat down and you know, I could see people taking pictures, you know, just off the you know, run like 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 that and stuff and I just thought, I don't really don't like this, it, you know, it really makes me feel uncomfortable and you know, I'm not even I've never had any anything like fame. And this is like the first kind of my first exposure to it. And I was like, I really don't like this, it really makes me feel uncomfortable. And you know, even being at Watford, you know, I was playing at Watford, you know, playing every week and one of the main players in the team at this point, living in Watford. Now I'd go out clubbing in Watford, it's cool. I just felt fine. Like, you know, occasionally I might get someone to say, oh, you know, you play for Watford, you know, that's it. Whereas it kind of felt, it felt very different. You know, at times, you know, people kind of whispering or, and it, it really made me
0: feel uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I can imagine, as you said, being thrust in that position and having to deal with, do you know what I mean, everything else that comes with it. And, you know, in life as well, and I'm sure you, you probably have a great perspective on this, but for most people, they see it as money makes you happier. Money is going to solve all your problems. Once you're rich, you get all this stuff and it's all good. But then actually, I'm sure you've got an interesting perspective in that because you've been in that position and then realized actually it's not all it's cracked out to be. So I just kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on that and maybe some advice for, for for everyone listening as well i've been
1: in both situations you know i grew up we we, we had nothing <laughs> we had no money do you know what I mean and i was and then later in my life where i was fortunate to be on a, a very good wage and see i was bought for three million pounds and money you know I've, I've been exposed to money and and i've seen people with a lot more money than me and i can you know say firsthand that money all money does is is give you options in terms of probably gives you time more than anything, you know, it gives you freedom and sense of time, but it doesn't really make you free because in those situations, you have a lot of people in your, in, in your life, you know, a lot of people having an opinion on your life, whereas without the money that comes with it, without the pressure of having to perform, you have people that rely on you. It's a lot easier without it at times, but it's a lot harder, you know, without it at times, you know, just, you know, every person's handles things very, very differently. And I couldn't handle being someone who was in that situation where maybe that was also to do with my age and not knowing what was gonna happen. I didn't I had no idea of how my life was going to change, but it changed a lot. And so I think, you know, if, if I was put in that situation now, it'd be very different. I'd be able to handle it very differently. But at that point in time, obviously I was only twenty years old as well. So and things changed very quickly overnight and because I had no idea what was going to happen. It it kind of caught me by surprise,
0: especially at such a young age. Cause you see people struggle at further on, do you know what I mean? 25, 26, 20, cause it's still, I don't, I don't think the age is probably not even an issue. I just think it's something that it's going to be tough for anyone, to, especially when you come from humble beginnings to be thrust into that position. It's, but I love what you said regarding, you know, the effects of money. Um, Touching on what you said, obviously your mental health around this time took a turn for the worst when you were at Bolton. When did you first realise you might be suffering from depression or did you fully realise it at the time? I didn't at
1: all. <laughs> it was my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and you know, she just she was just like, you know, you're not yourself, you're not in a good place. And I saw oh, things aren't going well. I'm not playing. I'm not playing well when I am playing. And so I'm just, it's just football, like, just just getting me down or whatever. And, you know, anybody else who probably understood the game more so would have probably accepted that because they knew, they and well, they know how that can affect you. Whereas because she didn't understand football and the kind of how how much it can kind of take over your life, in a sense, in terms of your emotions, she just thought, well, this isn't normal. It's not normal for a game to make you feel like this. So, you need to go and see someone and I eventually did and you know it, as it transpired it was a lot more than just the game of football and my emotions of not playing or not doing well, you know what I mean?
0: So did you go through therapy? What what was kind of your when you went to seek help? What was what was the first steps you took in terms of getting help?
1: Um I went to a doctor, therapy therapist, psychologist. what would her title be? I don't know, doctor. And I had I you know, a lot of sessions and a lot of conversation with her about, you know, how I felt and kind of everything that was happening in my life and stuff. And kind of she she helped me to to see things with a bit more clarity and understanding. And that's when I've kind of realized that my the way, the way I approach life and the way I approach my emotions and football and everything just all clashed together as one, just is so unhealthy. And that was probably my biggest issue was that i was so emotionally invested in the game that my everything depending on depended on how football was going my whole life depended on how on how football was going which is it's not a normal for a person to to have their um, all of their emotions invest like tied up and and dictated by their work
0: so what would you say in terms of your experience of getting help? What's like the one takeaway? If there's any, if there's any one thing that stands out for you that you can say, you know what, if, if, I could talk to m- if I could go back and talk to myself at the time, this is the advice I would, you know, I'd give myself.
1: Being more open with it, you know, with friends and family, let them in. Because that, that's what helped me really ultimately is the fact that I was able to be open with it and it, you know, it's just a weight just just floods off you.
0: Yeah, and and I think as well, I don't I don't know if this you agree with this or not, and I, and again I'll be glad to hear your thoughts. But I feel like as men, one, it's even we find it more difficult to open up, and I feel like in the in the black community more so because even for me growing up, your cousin would be like, oh come on, stop crying, man up. Do you know what I mean? Like you had that pressure of you always felt like you had to you be, be tough. Yeah, exactly. Whereas actually listening to what you're saying. I can relate to a degree because there's times in my life when I've sat. There and I thought, yeah, something's not right. I I can't put a finger on it. I don't know what's going on, but I just don't feel myself. And it's only when you start to, as you said, to understand the importance of sharing with your partner, sharing with your with your siblings or whoever your mum, you know, the weight starts to lift and you start to, to to get somewhere. So, so yeah, no, thank you for that. And um. Obviously, sadly, at the age of 22, you attempted to take your own life. Fortunately, you failed, and you know we're still—you're still here and doing all these incredible things. So I'm—I'm I'm also glad that you're still here because we need—we need people like you for sure. The morning after your attempt, you got up and went to training as usual and didn't tell anybody about it for four years. What was it that prevented you from speaking out or sharing? that with someone whether it was your your girlfriend your mom or whoever just
1: the same thing that stops and prevents us from talking about mental health and depression anyways is that feeling of shame and feeling of you know being weak and and vulnerable really obviously that's what something i learned as i grew up and got older is that you know being vulnerable is the biggest and most powerful sign of strength there is you know being able to be who you are and show who you truly are is really really strong uh, to to hide it is weakness really it's, it's a lot easier to hide it so it's so much harder to really be who you are and show your feelings
0: but how did you uh, my, uh, just thinking about just what you've said there is how did you manage to to go to training after and just kind of honestly I think just thinking about it, I think that's so much like resolve I, I, I'm clearly you cared a you cared about the game and b you wanted to protect you know, probably the people around you. And as you said, the fact of saying, I don't want to come across weak, but how did you, how did you manage to, to just push on like that? Cause that's, I,
1: I... <laughs> it's just putting on that front. You know, that's, that's, I think that's one of the things that, that happens as well. When you're in that situation, you, you, you grow a massive ego to protect yourself from any emotional harm. So you pretend that everything's fine. You pretend that everything's cool. You're great. You know, your life's fantastic. So I just continued on that same path and probably my ego grew even more to protect myself even more because I was so vulnerable at that at that stage.
0: You then began to document your inner thoughts and feelings with words through writing and poetry. Would you say this was a form of self-expression that helped you understand the way you were feeling?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was that was a massive thing for me because I wasn't big at speaking and telling people how I felt or kind of communicating my emotions. And I wasn't really big able to understand things as well and kind of documenting them, document them at that time and writing them down. Firstly, I was able to reflect on them. I could go back and say, right, this is, I wrote this on this day. Clearly, this is how I was feeling because I can read it and understand like why, why was I feeling like that or understand what led me to that and being able to kind of analyze it in in a more thorough way. But then also from that point, I was able to share all of those thoughts and feelings with my friends and family without having to go down a road of trying to have that conversation because I wasn't great at having that conversation. I didn't know how to share my feelings and stuff. So I could just say, you know, I kind of collated all, the, all of these poems and and my feelings and thoughts and stuff and just said, read this. And that was it.
0: You saying that is brilliant because I actually think that's a a great piece of advice because you see it a lot in, in film, especially when like people talk, (laughs) talk about themselves in like third person and, you know, and and I think sometimes you're right. That is the way you may tell that story to say, Oh, let me. And some people will say like, Oh, let me tell you a story about a a friend, even though it's about them. There's a, there's a great Robert De Niro film. I can't remember the, the name of it now where he goes to see like a therapist and he keeps telling him stories about his, quote unquote friend
1: yeah it's the one with um it's the one with al pacino and 50 cent
0: correct that's the one and it's just looking at that even when i watched that recently i thought that's so interesting because it's true i I felt like i've definitely done that at some point in life instead of just being honest open and honest and i love your technique i think that's something even i would take on if i was ever struggling to share how i felt is it's it's a great way to express yourself even if you're not the perfect poet or whatever but it's still an you know an opportunity to to lay your cards bare um we've also spoken about obviously you mentioned about your about the ego thing you know protecting yourself and almost using the ego as a shield and we also discussed you know the difficulty as men for us to talk about mental health issues and our and our struggles you know with our emotions what was it that finally pushed you to speak out about your depression um at the time and what support did you receive <sighs> I got,
1: I just got to a point where I didn't care anymore, you know, about, you know, I'd, I'd share this with my friends, obviously, but on a wider scale and talk about in in the, in the public domain, I got to a point where I'd realized that my peak of my career was behind me. So I didn't care if it affected me going forward in my career anymore. So I just thought I'm either going to play or I'm not going to play. So I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, obviously I did an interview with Don McRae for the Guardian and, you know, when I did it, I was like, I don't know how this is going to be received. I, you know, I was terrified, to be honest. When, after I did it, it was, you know, it was a great conversation. But after, I was, I was like, should I have done that? Because I don't know how this is going to be received. And, but you know, it, was, it was received very positively. And, you know, and it made me realize that there are so many other people out there, like in, in, an incredible amount of people out there who felt or feel the exact same way I did. And yet we all think that we're alone.
0: Yeah. And exactly having a voice like yours to step up, probably you probably did have an impact on way more people than you ever actually be able to quantify. What are some of the key tools or advice you'd offer to people going through their own
1: mental health issues? To talk, you know, you know, that may be talking verbally, that may be writing or sending someone a message or you know, communicate in some way, share your feelings with, with somebody you know it could be family, it could be friends, it could be a stranger. You know there is a lot of empathy around there. You know within different communities, different spaces. You know find helplines and and groups that you can speak to and just just unload your feelings and share share how you feel because that's the the biggest thing really. Because once you once you are able to do that, you can then take some of the weight off and shed some of the weight in that sense, and you know you'll walk around a lot lighter.
0: Do you have any? daily routines maybe habits things that you do on a daily basis that kind of help you manage or let's say if you if you feel down or you you feel like you're not in a good place are there any I wouldn't call them tips and tricks because so that's the wrong thing to say but are there any things you've kind of used over the years that always help you
1: just I think just looking at life really and just kind of seeing what you're great you're grateful for and what is in your life it's, it's hard to to do that time because so many of us live in the future or the past you know, most most people don't live in the present and just you know look at everything around and think wow this is a great situation i'm in mean, right now when i was in the past i wished i had this I and mean, we all, you know often we're looking at the future that all the great things that we can potentially have that are better or all of the bad things that have happened in the past and forget we're only in today we can only live in today you know we can't we can do what we can to affect the future but really and truly life is in the moment and sometimes when you when you take a step back and you think wow this is you know there are so many things to be grateful for it it, it makes you feel a lot better you know i think and see so beyond that you know the more tangible things like having a routine um exercising as well because obviously it gives you the endorphins that you need to to be happy and and having regular communication with friends and family and stuff
0: since speaking out about your own struggles you've had the opportunity obviously to use your voice for the great good through public speaking the fa heads up campaign and appearing on the tv program football prince william and mental health which was a game changer in getting men to understand the importance of open up how was it being a part of this project good i mean it's
1: important i i i i'm a part of a lot of things to do with mental health at the moment you know tv interviews you know it's radio whatever and documentaries and stuff and I, I will keep you know at times i think you know i might just kind of just keep going back over the same thing you know i people bored of hearing hearing of it and hearing from me but then I, I get messages and say you know thanks for doing that or you know that was great and this enabled me to do this or have this conversation i just think well it's important if it's important to one person then it's no skin off my nose to keep having the same conversation because i think it's important if it keeps helping people then i'm just gonna keep doing it
0: yeah no i i I say long mate continue because trust me i think every time you speak you're touching a different person each each time so i think you're definitely even if you say the same thing a million times i say keep keep going looking back at the dark time in your life from a much better place have you had an opportunity to unpick it and understand more about why these feelings manifested in the way they did
1: yeah i did i mean i've I've been on a long, long journey of self-reflection and, you know, growth and, and understanding. And I, I can kind of analyze that situation and know where it stems from and why it happened and, and everything around it and know when when things are creeping in, you know, in the future or they have crept in and over the past, you know, a few months or whatever, I can know to kind of take a step back and say, well, you know, don't don't slip, don't fall into that, you know, slippery slope and just kind of analyze and look at where you are and then try to address it and have these conversations and then try to move forward
0: moving forward obviously to your current life now last year at the age of 28 you decided to retire from professional football what led to this decision because I could imagine it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision for you to make because this is obviously something you loved from such a young age
1: Yeah, you know, I, I there, there are a lot of politics in football you know a lot of people know within the game particularly but um, there's a lot of politics within football that I I didn't necessarily agree with or believe in, and I got to a point in life where I thought, you know, I don't I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to just accept it for what it is. I can move forward. There are other things I'm passionate about. I can have more purpose. I can have more freedom, more control of my life in terms of what I do and what I say. And so I don't I don't have to do this anymore. I can be more. And you know, it was at a time where football was the common denominator in, in all my emotional troubles. And I just thought, you know, I love football and I want to continue to love football. So, but obviously being a professional football player is not something that is for me, clearly. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good. So I'm not going to do it anymore. And, you know, that, it was as simple as that.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. Like I said, just looking back on it, it's just, you, you sit there and you go, as you rightly said, you're young, this is your dream. So to give it up must've taken a lot because this is, you know, it's like someone wanting to be a doctor or this getting there and then going, Oh, this isn't actually what it's all cracked out to be. And I think there's a lesson in that as well, you know, for, for for the younger generation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't regret any of it. And I did live my dream. That's what I wanted to do. And I managed to do it. It's just, it wasn't as amazing as I thought it was going to be, you know, and that's fine. You know, I learned from that, I grew from that, and I moved on because I knew that I was at a point where I was going to not enjoy it even more so. So I just needed to, to move into something else that I, I think I may enjoy.
0: Your love for writing led you to finding an interest in filmmaking and ultimately co-founding 180 Productions. Tell us about this project and why it was the next move for you. I
1: love storytelling. You no, know, I think... that's something I enjoy in different aspects, you know, so everything I do now is storytelling, you know, writing, public speaking, filmmaking, it's all different storytelling and filmmaking is something that gives you, allows you to tell a story through so many different ways. and, And it's so layered. Whereas obviously writing, you have the, just the words itself and public speaking, you're, you're kind of use your body language and the words. Whereas when you're, Telling it through a film, you can you can tell it through the words in the scripts, the tone, the body language, the visuals. You, you can have so many subtle notes and and obvious things in the way you you, you tell something. So it's something that that I, I just love. And you know, I, the first film that I made was a short film called Dennis Prose, which is a, from a poem that I wrote, and that won a few awards at film festivals. And during the process of making it, it was just something that I fell in love with, and I just thought this is amazing. And I have a lot of ideas, so why why not do this? And you know, I kind of retired. When I retired, I yeah you know, put energy into thinking how how can this be successful? And we've move, we've moved forward so quickly over the last year, and you know, I, I didn't necessarily expect it to to happen so quickly, but you know we're in we're in
0: a really good position. Amazing. Um, you're also founder of Transition FC, a networking community for footballers of all levels and I know uh, I think in the Instagram bio also talks about life beyond the game so tell me a bit about how it the whole project came about kind of your inspiration and where you see it going really. I mean I've had this I had the idea
1: to, to do this for quite a few years now and I got to the point over the last few months when I thought you know I've had this journey over the last year and there's so much I've learned that isn't there uh, you know available for me to know and most full players wouldn't know really until they retire and a lot of it is risky you know, you know retiring is, is a is a it's a very big step you know And you think most players don't don't know what they're going to do when they retire and they don't know how to get there and one of the biggest things I found was my ability to network and the kind of no, I mean, I'm quite lucky that my wife is a personal branding expert, and she you know she, so she's given me a lot of um tips to be able to to take in and to network my and brand myself, but also to to network and and grow my network and actually understand the value of my knowledge and and connections within the game of football. you know and and that's something that every player has, but they don't know how to leverage at all. Don't know where to leverage that to, to go into another industry. So, you no, know, I, I set up this platform essentially to give players the, the tools to really fast track them in in going from not play from playing to not playing. Sorry. So, you know, there are the, the network is there to to connect people with each other, to connect them with businesses and and individuals who may be interested in specific things in in certain areas, but also to to give them the knowledge to go from to make that jump really to build their own bridge essentially from from playing to not playing so whether it's knowing how to brand yourself knowing how to connect to network on on and use linkedin um you know tips on how to be like journalist or a presenter or whatever it may be things that people may not get until they've had years of experience but they can have in 10 minutes You know, these are things that that are so important. And it's a lot of it is to do with all the soft skills that we possess but don't
0: know how to harness. And you're also um, on the FA Inclusion Advisory Board, helping to create a better environment for the beautiful game. What does this position entail? And what would you say are some of the biggest challenges regarding inclusivity and race in football?
1: I mean, the position is, you know, it's an advisory board, so we have our opinion listened to and and. In terms of different circumstances, I mean, it's been difficult because we've not, because of COVID, we've not been able to meet up or, and football's obviously been halted at multiple levels. So it's been difficult to really, to say, you know, what, how much impact this, this position and this board is going to have. But my understanding is that we're, we're here to, to suggest things and that feeds in obviously to the main board at the FA to implement ideas and suggestions and things into the game to help make the game better. Um, In the end of the day, it's all about trying to move the game forward. You know, football hasn't been in a great way for, particularly over the last year, three years where quite a lot of things have come to light regarding race, regarding homophobia, regarding sexism, regarding mental health. There are a lot of things that football needs to do to kind of be the leaders in the country, you know, because I think football... Can shape society as opposed to the other way around football doesn't necessarily need to follow society football can lead society it has the power to do that so that's essentially what trying to create
0: amazing and what would you say as well in terms of mental health you know you've been you've been in the game and you've been at the top of the game because you've played in the premier league so what would you say the clubs or or the people kind of like in the the powers that be in football can do to support mental health because I'm sure there's probably players till this day who go through that and are probably as worried as you were saying. Actually, if I show this, the manager might then drop me because I seem weak or blah blah. So, what would you like? What advice do you have that could be things that could be done to help that?
1: It's just creating a better environment, really, from from the top down in football, so that people players don't have to feel like they can't. Speak about their their mental health issues, or you know, there's going to be a repercussion for being open about their how they feel and stuff. Because it's not weakness; it's just part of life. You know, it's part of you know, everyone's going to have up days and down days. It's just normal. You know, some people have more down days, and that leads to depression. You know, that leads to poor mental health. It's something that we all go through um, in varying capacity. So it's just creating an environment that allows it to just be fine. To have these conversations and that doesn't necessarily affect everybody's works and some people might need work to get through that or some people work might be the cause of that and it needs to be a case of the environment just catering to, to those people to to allow them to get through it
0: also you have a wife and two children as you mentioned earlier how do you navigate the work-life balance and what advice do you have for changing the dialogue on mental health with the next generation?
1: I I, I barely sleep, is how I manage it to be honest, because I I work a lot, my wife works a lot as well. So, and you know, we we at the same time we want to make sure that our kids are getting a lot of love and a lot of attention, so we we are very often very tired. Um but just I think just being able to have conversations with our children about how they feel um showing them that emotion is fine you know even simple things like giving them hugs and kisses makes it you know fine because you know a lot of people their dads wouldn't have hugged them or kissed them when they're growing up you know people that in our generation they probably may not may not have had that and they almost feel like hugs and kisses are you know for girls or you know it's, it's you know it's what you have when you're weak whatever I think if you if you change that narrative that it's just you know being it's just showing love and you know you can have conversations and if you're upset you can have these conversations and they're normal within the household then it's going to be fine because you're creating that safe environment
0: yeah for sure I I couldn't relate more regarding like the whole uh hugs and kisses thing so I think I was fortunate I grew up in a house full of women you know my mum my sisters so naturally you get so much of that love so growing up it feels very normal to me that when I have kids I think I'll be exactly the same but you're right that there's a lot of people who've probably grown up in environments where that's kind of like whoa the kisses and the hugs are for the girls the boys you don't need that you just kind of keep keep it moving type thing um but yeah, what's um what's next for you? what what's next for Marvin? I mean, you're already doing an incredible amount, but I'm sure you've got more yeah. more exciting things.
1: I mean, we've got a lot in the pipeline with the production company. Um, we've got I mean, we've got an advert for the Heads Up campaign we filmed which is coming out in, uh, in autumn time. We've got a series we did with Yahoo that we co-produced with Yahoo that's coming out next month. We've got two short films that we've we created which are just two narrative pieces which in the next couple of months we'll be releasing as well and then beyond that we've got a lot of documentaries and and you know we've got some a lot of other projects that we've got in the pipeline as well so it's exciting you know some of them may not come off some a lot of them may come off maybe only one or two might come off but we've got a lot of a lot of things to to be excited about so I'm really looking forward to the next year.
0: No, nah, incredible! I'll be looking out for all the uh, for the for the um exciting things you've got ahead. One one more selfish question I forgot to ask you was um who's the best player you've ever played with? With,
1: uh, I always get asked asked this question, and with is difficult because there's you know there's probably three players that I always there's three players I always say when I answer this you know in terms of career that they had and it's Ryan Giggs you no know, probably by far. Um, in terms of just pure ability, um, Wilfred Zaha was just outrageous. And then also Daniel Sturridge was outrageous as well. So it's hard to, to pick really one.
0: No, nah, that's a good one. You've, you've <laughs> answered it. I think you've answered it in probably the best way possible. Very like diplomatic. Um, but yeah, as you know, obviously, Marvin, the, um, the podcast is called Can I Get a Picture? And the closing question we ask all the guests is... Who is the one person that inspires you that you'd love to have your picture taken with and why?
1: Well, that's, that's something that changes quite a lot, actually. But at the moment, some, somebody that really inspires me is Kevin Hart. I think because of just his, his work ethic is insane. You know, that's so I look up to people who are successful, but are, you know, like real, like real grafters. And who, who get it through it, by any means they find their way and, and Kevin Hart I think is something like that you know I watched a uh, documentary series on him recently I was, and listened to a podcast with Joe Rogan I was like this guy is just his, his energy is just infectious
0: thanks again to Marvin for taking the time to chat with me and thank you all for listening if you enjoyed the show please leave us a review be sure to follow us on Instagram at Can I Get a Picture Pod and we'll be back again next week with another episode.